The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Oh, it's a Wednesday. It is ETSU. Jay and Keith, although there's not a whole lot to talk about ETSU, except for I'm going to introduce you to one of the new coaches. ETSU football, yeah. Spring or, football. It's in the air. Don't call it a comeback. For Dallas He's been here for years. Yeah. Yeah. That's the name. He had. He had been here for years. He left for one year. And he's back. I don't even know if he was gone a full year. We'll have to ask him. It's close if it wasn't. Uh, so we'll talk ETSU football. Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. The foosball, and uh, been out to one practice so far. I'm going to try to watch a couple more before I give some thoughts because there's yeah. a lot of drills and things, and I didn't see a lot of team things and because uh, really everybody is, wants to know what, what's the offense, right, no matter what we're talking about, what does it look like, what are we going to do. So we'll ask Al Sticky that. Tomorrow we're going to talk to offensive line coach Jay Galermo. So uh, we'll get his thoughts on, uh, you know, Coach Corals when he played for him in high school, maybe a little Dabo talk, uh, Clemson talking national champion, and kind of his coaching journey as he's been at the FCS, FBS, Power Five, and now back FCS. So, and then next week we'll try to get uh, Kirk Gardner. So we're, Captain Kirk, yeah. And we'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get everybody, I make, guess. Make sure it may, Kirk, not Kurt, Kirk. Yeah, with Kirk a K. Garner, uh, no, no G, or no D, rather. Garner, not Gardner. Kurt Garner. There we go. There we as go. As opposed to uh, Kurt Cousins, as he was known in the press conference at Washington before he signed with Minnesota the following year. That's like that. The writing was kind of on the wall at that point. No, Kirk Garner. Great guy from Baltimore. Excited to have him on staff. Jay Guillermo is. Um, Jay will fire you up. Jay Guillermo will fire you up. Yeah, that will be a fun conversation I, i'm looking forward to that he's a guy that just he's just passionate about the game man it just he just loves it um and great to have dallas back dallas I, I look forward to asking him about his d2 days as a fairly successful quarterback right he's a fairly successful quarterback at west georgia and uh he um he got a couple opportunities to beat up on mike ezekiel's north alabama lions so I uh, get to ask about that now. Oh, I thought he beat up on Mike Ezekiel at first, uh, but then you we clarify. won't. We won't talk about the one where they lost thirty-one twenty-eight. But uh, he, yeah, the the following year where they won thirty-one to ten. Uh, yeah, those were uh, those, those were some good games. He played some good. Yeah, they got they got, a, they got a great win over uh, Valdosta. I believe they play for a peach basket. Is that right? I don't. You're I don't, asking I don't me to remember. know what West Georgia and Valdosta play for. I mean, you're the college football sicko of the two of us, so I figured you would know. Well, and I do have a lot of ties to Valdosta State, not many ties to uh, West Georgia. So, Well, you do now because Dallas Dickey's going to sit in that it's, chair. Well, that's the only West Georgia tie, um, except for I had a high school teammate actually play at West Georgia for a few years back in the day. That sounds like you got a few That was ties. mid-90s. It's mid-90s. Uh, you have more ties to West Georgia than I do. Two? Yes. Do you have one? I, I have Dallas Dickey. There you that's go. That's much it. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I work. I work in the same office building as Dallas Dickey, and that's that's it. That uh, that'll do it. That'll do it. Um, I got a lot of ties to the Valdosta, but yeah, that's the only West Georgia. So yeah, yeah. But that being said, I don't really know every rivalry game trophy um, there is out there. I appreciate that you think I do, and I, I like that I carry enough weight that most people probably think I do, but I do not. I don't like a lot of the people. I like to do other yeah. things. Um, what that is, I don't know. Oh, uh, before we get going, and we are going to talk SoCon Championship game in just a second. Um, have you seen Cats? Because I, I just, I just want to get this out there. You're gonna, you're gonna. I, okay, I want to know I, how this went I, for you. Okay, so I'm trying to be the good husband. So I didn't go to the championship game, so I could watch my daughter play volleyball, which was exciting. I'm glad I did it, and it was awesome. And she played really well, and so she was super excited. So I was glad I was there for that. And then the next night we had um, Broadway tickets. I bought you know the Broadway series coming to the Martin yes. Center, and, and it was very, very 
packed. My understanding is both so both shows were sold out. Yeah, it was it was pretty jammed. It was pretty jammed. Also, uh, adult beverages were nine dollars a pop, so it was like any other event. Woo! I was shocked by that. That's a um, little. That's that is a little steeper than they are at the symphony. Uh, you should go to the symphony. By the way, I met somebody who um, used to have Skip Carey babysit for him. Hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, you never know who you're going to meet at these kinds of places. So, yeah, no, I, I wholly endorse uh, uh, going to the symphony, getting some culture in that way with classical music. So I, you went you went I, theater. I, I, try, I, tr I tried to culture myself. Now, the the first show was Annie and the tissue was on the road, but yeah. I, I would not have been lost because I know the story of Annie would have known. It's River Dance is yeah. uh, coming up after that. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. And that, unfortunately, is also sold out because I wanted to go to that. And then the last one is Chicago, which I think is another story I'm familiar with. And all. Cats, I had zero idea what's going on going into it. Nobody knows what's going on in Cats. That's the half the point. Is it? Because... Hal, it's about Cats. <laughs> I, <laughs> I sit there and at least... Three times in the first act, I tried asking my wife what in the world's going on, and she kept shushing me. And then in the intermission, I ran into, I don't know, 20, 30 people I knew, and all of them asked me what was going on. <laughs> That's a bad sign. Okay, for those of you out there, if you're talking about something cultured, like you have a better shot of asking me what is the trophy between West Georgia and Valdosta than what the heck's going on in a play, okay? I have no idea. I sat through the two-and-a-half-hour thing. I think at some point a cat went to heaven. Yes, is that at right? The end. Yes, a cat goes to heaven. That's all end. I got. Other than that, I have heaven no idea what was going on. I think it's like born again as a new, like a different kind of cat because they're all right. They're angelical yeah. cats. I got that. They're angelical cats. Yeah, that that's it. Uh, I have no idea what the hell's going on. I I, I, I mean, uh, and there were people that were like, "Oh, it's the fifth time I've seen it. I've gone seen this in there." And finally, I found uh, it was probably a thirteen-year-old girl. Uh, sitting down to my right, and we go to church with her, and I was like, hey, do you? And so she kind of gave me a little bit of an explanation, and she mm -hmm. said, what's well, supposed to be confusing? And I was like, well, mission accomplished. <laughs> if it's supposed to be confusing, well, mission accomplished. Here, if you'll, if you'll hit Pro Tools, this is, the, uh, this is the director of the original production of Cats, Hal Prince, who discussed it with Andrew Lloyd Webber. I listened to it all and I said, uh, Andrew, is this something I don't get? Is this about Queen Victoria? She's the main cat and Disraeli and Gladstone or other cats. And, and then there are, uh, you know, poor cats. And am I missing this? And, and he took a terrible, painful, long pause and said, Hal, it's about cats. And we never discussed it again. There you go. It's about cats. Uh, sure. I, I don't, buddy. I'm. <laughs> that is one of my that is one of my all time favorite quotes from anything ever. Is how it's about cats. That's it, great. It definitely was about cats. Um, what What did you what, So, which cat was your favorite? Did you have a favorite cat? Uh, yeah, my third cousin removed Hank Santos was uh, one of the characters, uh, or a guy that played a character, so whoever he was was my favorite. Oh, okay. I don't know which character he I was. I don't have a playbill, so I don't know. I don't either. No, I do have one. I just don't have it on me. But yeah, uh, no, that, yeah. that being said, uh, whatever character he played. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you any character. There was a big fat cat that was like yay or nay um, mm -hmm. on, I guess, people getting in. Uh, and then there was the cat that eventually got in. Uh, she's saying great. There was, there was, I will say this, like, I do like, like, I get hooked on, you know, dance shows more than I do the singing talent type shows. Like, I, I yeah. do, so, some of the dance number stuff, like, I have to admit, like, I was a fan of that. It was a lot of upbeat music, so I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of upbeat, the dance, etc. But, yes, there, I have no, uh, yeah, I don't know that I got everything I was supposed to, or did I get everything I was supposed to out of that? Uh, I don't know that you did. How was the? Uh, how was that per performance of uh, Memory? Memory is like supposed to be the big iconic number from the show in Act Two. Is that where she goes to heaven? I don't remember. Yeah, man, I got. No yeah, idea. I think I, I got nothing. I, I think it's nothing. like it's like right before that, and that's um. There was like one is it, cat it's that was Grisabella, like, Yeah, it was like one cat that like started fights. I think uh, it was a cat fight thing. I, it it seemed, could have been. There, there are probably seemed, some. Seemed like 
to me that was a I don't, I don't scrim- know. Was that Scrimble Shanks? Maybe I don't know. But this is clearly I'm going to put this on there that uh, uh, Jay doesn't understand cats, so people want to fast forward through the first twelve minutes of this. I get you because I I, yeah. I don't know what the heck's going on. I'm here. just amazed that you have avoided saying Rum Tum Tugger at, at any point. I do I do kind of remember that number. Yeah, I do kind of remember that number. He's supposed to be like the inspiration for that character was Mick Jagger. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. There was one other first act where there was like two cat burglars, if you will, uh, play on words. Or yes, I uh, think so. Yeah. And then that one, uh, they they had some fancy dance moves. So, okay. I don't know. That's how. I, there's the breakdown. You want you want you want to talk uh, basketball? Yeah, we could talk basketball. <laughs> okay. It's an easy transition. Oh. Easy, easy transition. There are there were no cats in the SoCon title game. Because they were eliminated in the semifinals. There's the whatever the mocks are because they keep changing it. Like, and you, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's it used to be a mockingbird, right? I mean, at one point it was the moccasins, and they changed that, and mm-hmm. then it became. I thought mock is now short for a mockingbird because I, mockingbird is the state bird, and and they have the weird bird, you know, I, caricature. I, I do. Lo- they have the. They also have Mascot the bird. Whatever. That's like a train conductor or train engineer right, riding the, in the train. Right, for the Chattanooga Choo Choo's. They have, they have I that. love that logo. I, I think that's awesome. I thought it was a shoe. They were the mocks, the shoe. Is that not the... I don't think so. Maybe it, maybe it's it's just designed to be ambiguous. Hal, it's about mocks. <laughs> nice nice transition. Uh, and, then, and then you got the Dens, uh, as they have on their uniform, which throws me off because I don't think anybody who is outside of the Southern Conference would know what in the world that is or what it's referring to. Mm-hmm. And I get what they're going for, but, like, it's going to be a tough sell on the national stage. It, in Dungeons & Dragons, a pa- shorthand for a paladin is a pally. Not a den. Not a den. It's a pally. Or dens. So they, or should, whatever it, it is. they should really go by the pallies. Okay. They, they, I'll tell you what they can go by is champion because they did For the first the, time but, in my lifetime. And I maybe mean, the second time in yours? Yes, I was two whenever they won the first one in 79, I guess. It's been 43 years. Yeah, and I'm So the last time they went to the so. dance is 80. So, yeah, 43 years. It's a long time. Yeah, well, I guess I guess technically it was right before my third birthday then because my, I was born in April. So that makes sense. Okay. There you All go. Right, there we go. Happy yeah, early so I was, birthday. I was almost three. It was plenty of time. Everyone remembers that. Yeah, absolutely. Good. I totally remember the time Good I fell them. out of the shopping cart. That was before the three-point yeah. line, for those of you checking. Yes, at which the SoCon was one of the first conferences to implement. That it was. Um, and don't you forget it. We, we will not be allowed to forget that. As, you know, we're the, we have the, you know, one of the longest streaks in the history of the world mm-hmm. uh, shooting threes consecutively. All I right. was say, like, that's something that's like a, it's like a biker gang credo. It's like the SoCon was one of the first conferences to implement the three-point arc. Uh, was somebody, I will say this, brought it up that I misspoke that uh, Clemson, I think, was the only Southern Conference team to win four games in four days back in 1938, and I apologize for not knowing that. Um, but in the modern uh, Southern Conference thing, nobody's won four and four, and it goes back to the same thing. They look like Chattanooga. The legs got to them. On, yeah. on the few yeah. few things I was able to watch, and I kind of tuned in and out. Especially I, early. Especially early. It, yeah, they just weren't crisp out of the gate. And honestly, Furman had a little bit of the Furman lull that, that they tend to have. That eight, ten-minute spurt where they just they don't look real good. Yeah. Now, they look pretty good the other 30 minutes, but there was about a ten-minute spurt there where they didn't look particularly great, and Chattanooga got back into it because early on it looked like, you know, this was going to be uh, just a mass drubbing by Furman, and they were really going to run away with it. And they still – Healthy lead, never really in doubt. Chattanooga, about five minutes ago, got it to like a six-point game. And then Furman did a great job of just stretching it right back out. It seemed like every time I turned on um, the tube, and I, it, there were not as many threes as I looked at later, but it seemed like every time that I would kind of flip back to the game that Furman was knocking down a three when they needed it. Yeah, uh, they they hit shots when they needed to. Um, and Chattanooga, like I said, just – not crisp in the first half like they needed to be. 
Uh, I think they rallied to a 40% percentage, but they were down. I mean, they got themselves in a 19-point hole at one point, and you can't do that against Furman um, and and expect to win. And they, the fact that they got it down to five, I said, okay, we're in business. But um, they, the closest they got, I want to say they got it down to two early in the second half, and then Furman kept them at a pretty safe distance the rest of the way. Uh, overall, uh, I just thought, Furman was the better team over the balance of the 40 minutes. Yes, the fourth game in four days hurt Chattanooga, uh, but they still had a chance at it. I mean, it's not like they they just missed opportunities and got themselves in a hole. It's one of those instances where you can't win a game in the first 10 minutes, but you can lose it. And that's what Chattanooga did is they just, they came out kind of offensively. They were just kind of flat. Shots weren't falling. And by the time they got back into it, they had already dug themselves a hole that they couldn't dig out of. And for Furman, they finally get to the mountaintop. Uh, Bob Ritchie, for a decade, seems like he's had one of the top three teams in the league, you know, give or take a year or two, maybe not. But for the most part, he's had a top three team, but hasn't been able, you know, to add that resume, you know, builder, uh, to move on to another job, you know, to take his team to an NCAA championship. He was able to do so, and I think he has progressed the last several years to – getting more guys in the rotation, getting deeper. They have fresher legs at the end of games at the end of the year. And I think that small progression of either adding depth or trusting his depth, because it would always seem like he would have to replace all-conference guys, and you'd be like, well, these guys are now all-conference. Like, could they not play before, or is it all-conference because they're playing all 40 minutes and they're eating up all the stats or whatever it may be. But last couple years, I've, I've – I've given Bob credit that Coach Ritchie has been able to get more playing time. And in this game, you know, eight players played 13 or more minutes. You know, six players played 25 or more minutes. So you're starting to see a little bit more depth, and I think that helped. And I think it also showed that they had two guys that had been in the program for five years and had contributed, and Mike Bothwell and Jalen Slauson. And for them, unbelievable ending to what they had great careers. But how about the growth of J.P. Piggies over the course of the second half of the year? That guy was kind of a, like he's out there. You can tell he's got a lot of potential, but he's clearly a bit player. This is Bothwell and Slauson's team. And he just had a tournament for the ages. It was fantastic. Uh, a player that's going to be, you know, the next problem for SoCon teams uh, over the next three years as uh, I, I was just really, really impressed by what he brought to the table. I believe he is a, he's a freshman or a sophomore. I want to say he's a freshman. Uh, just really outstanding work for uh, for Peggy's. He's a sophomore. Uh, and it just, yeah, the next two years are going to be headache city, migraine city for a lot of coaches in the SoCon if Peggy's stays because he is the next guy that is going to be that dude. I know he didn't, I don't think he hit a three in the title game, but he still found a way to score 17 points. Um, and he was in a situation where, hey, you know, other teams are going to take Slauson away. They're going to take Boswell away. They're going to really play to the matchups. They're going to drill down on those. They're going to execute on those defensively. You are going to have to take more shots, and you're going to have to find ways to score. And he was 7 of 9 from inside the arc. And that's that's scoring right there. That's that's getting it done. That That'll get it done. Um, he was really, really good to watch. And uh, I, I think that Furman team is going to be a very, is, is, at the very least, going to be an adequate representative of the 2023 Southern Conference in the NCAA tournament. And I think, assuming Bob Ritchie doesn't get another job, then they only lose two players. And they're really good ones in Bothwell and Slauson. Mm -hmm. But everybody that contributed would be back. They've already signed, I think, a couple guys early. So, yep. You know, Furman hasn't had the attrition of guys leaving. Now, when you went to a tournament and you kind of get that kind of checked off, there's a couple of guys that would be seniors. Would they be wanting to go? My guess if Bob Ritchie comes back, probably not. All bets are off if, obviously, Coach Ritchie were to go, even if they kept an assistant. Sometimes you still see guys go. So, Furman could be pretty well stacked again for next season. Now, again, they lose two – ridiculous players and Slauson was kind of an all everything where Bothwell really just 
put the team on his back into the regular season and in the conference tournament with J.P. Pegues. So I think Furman's got a good chance next year if Coach Ritchie comes back of being, our, you know, probably a favorite to win the thing next year, depending on what happens in the league, depending on what players leave, and that could change. But, again, Furman's done a good job of keeping, you know, most of their players. Noah Gurley, really the only – guy I can think of for Furman at left. He went to Alabama. They're yeah. they're pretty good. He's not getting any action, but he's yeah. on a pretty good team. I think they'll get so – now you got to play the seed game. What, what seed do you think they'll get? I think yeah. a 13 right now would be my guess. But mm-hmm. as conference tournaments wrap up, are there more upsets that could get them to a 12, which obviously the chances of winning at a 12 – greater than at a 13 but i think they'll probably be around a 13 would be my guess i haven't seen the latest projections on bracketology and all this other stuff and you know that's a, a very fluid thing because here shortly uh, uh what's his name's going to work overtime about every 32 seconds to update his joe lenardi or if you like that one i think he's going to start updating that literally uh, lenardi has game. 10 big teams in the 10 big 10 teams in and that is um, absurd. And I'm so glad, by the way, that College of Charleston won their conference tournament and we don't have to sit here and have consternation over whether a 30-win mid-major is going to get in. They won 30 games. And the idea was, like, they might not get in. And, like, at that point, what is the point of the tournament? The tournament's not representative. Split Division One in half again. And let's actually have mid-major representation in a tournament somewhere because that was that, that would have been utterly ridiculous. I would have been outraged. We, you would not have been able to sit within 10 feet of me. I would have been yelling so loudly. David Lilly, who's just down the hall from us, would come over and be like, hey, guys, could you, could you keep it down? I mean, I get that you're fired up, but, man, I'm trying to recruit. Uh, we, we would, we would, I, it would have been a problem. I would have been a problem. I would be fit to be tied if Charleston had been left out. So I'm glad they won. Um, but yeah, 10 big 10 teams in is, an, that's atrocious. That's that was the last I saw. Now it might've changed, but he, yeah. Well, right now, if you just watch, look at Lenardi's a 14 Furman against number three, Gonzaga. Ah, I hate that. Let's see. Who's right. a, so a 13, so the 14 seeds right now, Louisiana, who just won the Sun Belt, who yeah. ETSU Decent again, ugh, sitting there looking at him. Uh, Kennesaw State, UC Irvine are the 14s. Again, according to Lenardi here, and I'm just, this is the easiest one to click on right now. Kennesaw State. Uh, the 13s, Toledo, Yale, Iona, and uh, Utah Valley. Okay. So and the twelve. Where's Oral Roberts? Are they a twelve? Uh, see, VCU's a twelve. Drake's a twelve. Oral Roberts is a twelve, and Charleston's a twelve. Where's ORU going? Uh, right now in this one, they would play Iowa State and Albany. That would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Um, that team just torched North Dakota State in the some in the uh, Summit League title game last night. It was a thirty-one point game at halftime. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting team to watch because they have been able to hang on to a big portion of their core, uh, that being Max Asmus and uh, Trey McBride. Been really, really good for them for a while. Where do you fall in the Ivy League student-athletes suing the Ivy League for conspiring to uh, – what was the exact term? A uh, pair of basketball players from Brown allege a federal lawsuit against the Ivy League for not offering athletic scholarships amounts to price-fixing agreement that denies athletes proper financial aid and payment for their services. Um, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> um, then don't go there because you know that they're not giving you athletic scholarships. I think I think that is that's really interesting that it's like you know, that a conference cannot set that rule of actually you are uh, we're not we're not going to offer grants and aid. But but is it but it's, is is I mean this is America right? They probably had other scholarship offers and chose the Ivy League or they did have a scholarship offer. Like do you think the Ivy League players most have scholarship offers somewhere else and choose to go to Ivy League. Like, you choose to go to that school. It's not like they draft you, right? You choose to go to a school. I don't – and you don't know that that's the deal? I'm very confused on what, what is the – like, this is a known thing. 
The Ivy League is extremely disingenuous about a lot of things pertaining to intercollegiate athletics these days. So uh, anytime that they get uh, their name dragged through the mud in court over uh, something related to athletics. Or you just mad they don't play in the playoffs. Uh, I'm extremely mad that they don't play in the football playoffs. Right. If they, they, didn't, play, if they didn't play in every offseason or every postseason, sure. fine. Sure. Okay, that's fine. But you're going to not play in football, but you're going to play in basketball. You're going to bend over backwards. To or, baseball, the or, whatever, yeah. or baseball. Or baseball. Yeah, or baseball when the kids aren't on campus anymore. The semester's been over for like three weeks. You're going to send them to a regional anyway. Ah, that's stupid. But, yeah, no, I, I think that's hilarious. Uh, I also think that conferences that set rules that limit what leagues can offer or what teams can offer in terms of um, in terms of like incentives to play for a specific institution, I think those conferences and member schools are going to be paying very close attention to the proceedings as they pertain to that particular Ivy League suit. I'll be very interested to watch that. Yeah, so like the Patriot League football, right? They don't offer... The Patriot League changed that. The NEC capped scholarships at 40, though, I believe. Okay. I believe the Patriot League changed to 60, uh, and that, I mean, it would just be like, well, you have to offer 63 because that's what FCS uh, maximum allows you to do. I think that would be interesting. I guess it, you're saying it's okay if the school makes a decision. You don't think the league should make a decision. If the schools make – well, their, their argument basically boils down to if the schools had made the decision independently of each other without communicating with one another, hey, we're going to do this, so you should do it too, then that would be okay. But the fact – but they're, they're alleging that the schools – I'm going to use this word. It's a loaded word. Colluded in – uh, not offering athletic scholarships so as not to give one school an unfair advantage over the other members of the conference. All right. Yeah. I just didn't see if you saw that. That the, uh, I know how you felt, so I thought that was an easy one. To it was absolutely about. hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, SoCon, Furman, I think, will be an adequate representative. I, they'll put up a fight against the Zags. They, I don't think they would beat Gonzaga. Of course, that's not who they're playing yet. That's just who's projected. Right. That's just projection. Um, and Lenardi, as we have all come to understand, is not the definitive. Like he's the he's the bracketologist with the big, biggest platform. But well, he's not the best one. He he is not there. Uh, I forgot which one we did this last year. We looked up the the one that's uh, I don't know. Last ten years has gotten most of the teams in the field. Last year, I think that guy got sixty seven of the sixty eight. It was something crazy, and it averaged uh, sixty. It had, well, that's loaded because it wasn't always 68, but it averaged like 62 of the 64 and like 65 of the 68. It was on average, and last year the guy was 67 of 68, so we were using his last year. Was it some kind of obscure long-form website name like goaskyourmamasbracket.com or something? Something like that. Mm. Maybe maybe we also like the, wasn't uh, actually that. You but. ever gone to the uh, there's a there's one that's got a matrix where it does like a full it engulfs like sixty bracketologists and it gives you the full spit out of mm. who's what we we did we did that a lot uh, especially during the, the uh, thirty and four run for ETSU as it was oh yeah getting more and more we were trying to it. see because like, some would have them at like a six and some would have them like a twelve and it was just all it was all over the mm. thing so it was fun because they would. Uh, and again, some of those sites only did an update once every other week, and some were doing them daily. And so, but anyways, it was right. Uh, I could probably look. I think I got it saved on my other computer. In the, you probably in the office, do. So, because I do yeah. like that, and it will be fun to see um, where Furman falls, and to see where the because the league was a little down. I think it would be tough. To, I, would, I would agree. Yeah. To to argue that. So, how does that play into it? And. Um, Furman at least winning the regular season championship, I think, will give them a little bit of a boost. Because I think if they were the three seed with the same record, I think you like, oh, you win the regular season championship, so people kind of automatically bump you down. But because they were the regular season champion, I'm hoping that gets them. And I hope they get, you know, a 13 is better than a 14. Although yep. ETSU's one out of 14, it's very difficult. 14 over three, you get to that 13, but the percentages of the 12 over five, that's really where you where you. That's where your trendy your upset picks are. Your yeah. trendy uh, mid-major picks tend to go is the 12s. Okay. Um, so, which probably says that they should maybe be seated a little higher. So tomorrow, let's do Portal Watch. What do we think about that? Do that tomorrow? You want to do it tomorrow or you want to do it right now? I mean, I got a couple names right now. Anything, there'll be a couple more tomorrow? Um... 
I think there, I mean, you, there could be you, more. We're, you, we're, we're getting to the point. So right now it's all grad transfers. All right, well, let me ask you this. What else do we have to talk about tomorrow? Uh, we're going to have say what tomorrow. Ooh, we've not had that in a while. I, is, I, is, is it anything with me dealing with cats? It is now. Oh, okay. Th- that's going to be in there now because no. it has to be. Yes, but sir. no, um, it's going to be you dealing with putts. All right. So we're- and uh, the 60s being the new 40s. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what else did I have? Um, coaches learning what sticks, what lessons stick. And there was something else. I had to, oh, yeah. Uh, someone is really, really, really fired up about toilets. I'm just going to leave everybody hanging on toilets. <laughs> toilets! All right, so as you know, or you may know, the transfer portal window opens Monday, March 13th. Graduate transfers are not restricted to the portal window. So graduate transfers can enter the portal essentially whenever they desire. So even if they haven't graduated, they can enter. They are if they are expected to graduate, they can enter as a graduate transfer. I find that real fascinating. Are we just going with the assumption everybody's going to graduate? Uh, yeah, kind of. Okay, um, then, okay. Yeah. That, that that sounds like a perfect NCAA thing. But go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, so most recently, uh, BJ Mack was a notable entry into the transfer portal from the Southern Conference. Messiah Jones has joined him as well. Uh, and and the uh, in the transfer portal, and uh, several others have made their way into the portal that are notable from the SoCon uh, Conway from VMI. Uh, we also saw um, another one that I'm trying to oh uh, Stephen Clark from the Citadel is in as a graduate transfer. None of these are particularly shocking, right at this point. Uh, Marlo Gilmore from Western Carolina has entered the portal according to verbal commits. Um, and also, uh, according to verbal commits, uh, and I think we can, are we able to confirm DeAnthony Tipler? Yeah, he's, he's on the list. He's in the transfer portal. Yes. So, um, Tip is going to grad transfer, uh, somewhere else and, uh, you know, wish him all the best of luck. Um, and that's kind of the extent of SoCon movement to this point. And I really don't know that anybody looks at that list. If you were just a neutral observer of the SOCON, you might be disappointed to see some of those guys move on like Clark. Um, but at the same time, you say, eh, okay, sure. Makes sense. You know, you got your degree, you played there four years. Uh, you, you know, go see what's next. Same with Jones, same with Mac. And same with Conway at VMI as well. You've got one more, I believe it's in the transfer portal. Interesting. Uh, Charlie Weber is in. And so basically from what I gather is he's going to go to try to another school to see uh, if the second opinion and medically can get cleared. Um, ETSU did not feel comfortable doing that. And Charlie was okay with that. But now that Charlie's taken a full year off and has graduated, you know, maybe has a little bit more of the itch to play one more season, is going to see that. And um, ETSU will, I'm sure, turn over all the medical stuff they got with that to the next school, and that'll be up to the next school. So even though he's in there, that does not mean that he will be cleared. But there's also a chance, obviously, he could be cleared by another school. And so um, if he is cleared and he can play, wish Charlie all the best. I think he did as much as he could at ETSU. He certainly – Weather does some storms. He came with um, uh, Coach Forbes, and then was here with Coach Shea, and now with Coach Oliver. So um, he's in there as well. Uh, we'll have to see, and this list will continue to grow every single day it, as it, it has. Will, for um, we're seeing a lot of uh, non D one transfers that are starting to filter in. Uh, a couple of SAC players. Um, there's been a couple of intriguing players from other conferences that have started to filter in. I, I think. Uh, Anthony Selden at Gardner-Webb is a player that maybe could have uh, a little bit of interest from some people. Um, 
I'm not sure of his I, I, of his exact output, but I saw that name and I was like, that sounds like I, I was like I knew that name from somewhere. Well, um, I, I can tell you, Chris Ledlam at Harvard, who I saw play twice, gonna get a lot of interest. He's going to be a high major, and he was a six five or six six two hundred thirty pound power forward in the Ivy League. It averaged uh, almost a double double at twenty and eight a game or eight and a half a game, and so he's going to get uh, a lot of looks. That was one where uh, my radar, when I saw him pop up, was like, hey, uh, coaching staff, you think you can get him? I said, buddy, there's high majors already all over him. <laughs> he's he's going to have a great a great look at it. So there'll be some interesting names. That, uh, and, again, I w- and that's what I like about some of those MTEs, right? Because yeah. I've seen Harvard play every once in a while, but when you there's something different about actually your own eyes in person seeing things that don't necessarily yeah. translate on TV. And I think Chris Ludlam is a heck of a player um, that will play at a higher level mm-hmm. than the Southern Conference. Uh, but, boy, I'd love to see, uh, obviously, him and a bunch of other guys in yeah. the ETH. Uh, Selden 11-5 and five and 4-5, and five, uh, 11.5 and 4.5 uh, this year at Gardner-Webb and 700 points in three seasons. So, decent player. Clearly feels like, you know, he has something else to give um, to somebody else. And, uh, you know, I, I hope it works out for these guys. I feel like there are a lot of players that go in the portal for a lot of different reasons. And discussions about the portal really seem to lack nuance for why those players go in and also why they might not get picked up. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I hope for the best for the kids because, man, like, I, I was able to transfer to another school, to ETSU, and get an opportunity and that opportunity launched my career to places that I never even imagined it going. I never imagined living in North Dakota. I barely even imagined living in North Carolina. Um, so like, I, I hope for the best for people that decide to take that step to somewhere else. Whether it's because you're going to go get a graduate degree, get a master's degree paid for, or whatever it is, I uh, wish those kids all the best of luck. And I know a lot of people are like, well, what about Christian Shaw? Well, he can't, just as Keith said, he can't officially go in. Till Monday, although he's put out on Twitter a thousand times, he's that in the he portal. intends to enter the portal. Well, no, he said he is in the portal and he's waiting on offers. But I think they finally somebody had to reach out to him and tell him nobody can offer you because you're not actually in the portal yet. Just because you've left school and you told everybody you go in the portal, there's actually paperwork you have to do. So right. he will officially be in the portal on, on Monday. Monday. So that's why we're not really talked about. And that, that's when that's a happen. lot of you, a lot of people, would start to get anxious about. Okay, who's coming back? Who's not? What Ross? What is roster turnover actually going to look like over the across college basketball? Because that's when a lot of teams' seasons are going to end, um, and that's when underclassmen, <clears throat> excuse me, can enter the portal. These are all again these everybody that's in right now, at least at the Division One level, everybody that's in right now is graduate transfers. Um, so. Just be aware of that when you see a player that's in or a player that's not in, and you see a player that's not in, and you're like, that player's staying. It's uh, not a given yet. I mean, again, yes, if a player has, you know, if a freshman like Christian Shaw said, I'm in the portal, I'm going, you know, they're probably going to go in and officially be in at some point, but they're not actually in yet. And right. if they actually sign with a different school, then that's going to raise more questions because legally – legality of it that's and that's yeah, why so I, I saw shaw a couple yeah. times i was like hey man i'm still out here nobody's contacted me and i think finally somebody um at etsu actually told him like hey they, they they can't yet because and you're not actually in yet you gotta so there's right there, there's a lot again a lot of misinformation out there for a lot of kids on how this stuff works i also think like again this goes back to the lack of nuance on transfers Um, Because I saw somebody talk about this with North Dakota State. They said, oh, you know, North Dakota State lost a bunch of players to the transfer portal and they could have panicked. That's like the players that they lost, with one exception, were players that they knew were probably not coming back or were definitely not coming back. Like Sam Greasel, who grad transferred to Nebraska, and Tyree Eaney, who grad transferred to North Texas. Those guys huddled up with Rocky Cruiser, who was the other senior last year, and said, we want to play one more season together. Uh, Edie and Cruiser got their degrees and they said, we're moving on. We're, we're out of here. 
you know, this is the moment to hand it off to the next generation. And they talked about that with their coach going into the season. And so the coaching staff was able to prepare. And that's why they were able to go out and get their first choice high school players. And they started two freshmen in that title game last night that were pretty doggone good in uh, uh, to Javis Miller and Damari Wheeler-Thomas. So, like, there's also an element when you see a player, especially a grad transfer in the portal, they probably had a conversation with their coach early on. It's like, hey, are you thinking about it? Do you want to do this? Are you Have you made up your mind that you're leaving? It's like, I want to stay. I want, you know, I want to see this through as long as I can. Or it's time to hand it off to the next group of guys. I've done everything I can. Or, you know, I want to see what's out there. This is a year that I wasn't going to have. Otherwise, a lot of these grad transfers would be out of eligibility right now if it weren't for the COVID waiver. And I think coaches in general respect that. So I think we should not immediately jump to conclusions when you see a bunch of players, especially older players in the portal, don't go throw yourself in the thrasher and say, woe is me, my program's falling apart or such and such team's falling apart because this may be something that they've already planned for and accounted for in their recruiting. And if a program has a healthy culture, everybody's on the same page about it when it comes time to do that stuff. So don't immediately jump to conclusions about the ills of the portal or players trying to find greener grass somewhere. Every situation is different. Every situation requires context. Applying a blanket to this really does a disservice to everyone on every end of the process. I think it's hard, especially to knock somebody if they actually got a degree from where they were at. Like, if you have a degree... You honored your commitment. Right, and you want to... Do something else, and sometimes, and this is gonna this is gonna shock people, but sometimes people actually go to grad school for an actual degree they want to go to that their school doesn't have. It's yes. not always sports, and I, we can't talk about a player football because he's verbally committed, but he's not actually, and he's going to graduate with his undergrad degree, but he chose ETSU because of a particular graduate program that other schools that probably were a little higher profile didn't have, and he's going to choose to play an extra year of football at ETSU. So there are people out there that it does mean something like, hey, I, you know, yeah, I'm going to play one more year, but I'm going to do this. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you earn, to me, it's hard to look at somebody if they spent four years. And, again, the COVID year is also throwing a lot of monkey wrenches into everything. Getting that fifth year – to actually play as opposed to four years, right? You get five years to play four. Well, now you get five years to play five because of the COVID year. So in like two years, the number of people uh, that are going to transfer and do extra grad transfers and all that are going to go way down. So this will self-correct somewhat. Now, there's still the gratification of I'm a freshman. uh, Coach told me I could probably get 15 minutes a game. Well, I I only got three minutes a game, so I'm going to go ahead and transfer. Yes, there's some of that. There, there is a little of that, but it's not nearly as much as people play it up to be in the media when they're trying to scare kids into staying out of the portal. Yeah, I, if I was going to scare somebody in the portal, I would just say that there were 1,200 basketball players that didn't find a home last year, and there were over 2,500 football players. That would be my scare tactic more than anything else. And I think but that's again, the harsh we don't reality. know how many of those guys were told, and we don't like it when this happens, but those guys were told, you don't have a spot here. Like They, they didn't have the choice of coming back. Or they weren't given, or given the choice of coming back as a scholarship player, so they wanted to see what was out there because they weren't going to have a spot. Like we don't know how many players had that conversation with a coach and said, "Yeah, it's probably in my best interest to move on," or a coach said, "It's in your best interest to move on because we don't like it when that happens." But it does happen. Oh, no doubt, it happens a lot. So I don't think it's fair to immediately just say, "Oh, there's so many players that didn't find a home because like because they jumped in the portal because they were unhappy." Some of those guys were not going to have a spot at their old school anyway. So, I, again, I, this this conversation requires so much nuance uh, and, and so much more nuance than I think we are even equipped to give it um, that it, it, it requires a much more deft touch than a lot of people are giving it. Speaking of touch, Dallas Dickey, he's in touch. You want to talk to him? Dallas Dickey coaches the guys with the best hands on the team, the wide receivers. All right, we're 
We're back on Jane Keith, Buccaneer Sports Network. As promised, we're going to talk a little football, football, football. Football, football. Because we love football. We love football. Oh, there it is. I was going a little early. You were, yeah, you were waiting for the Wawa pedal. You were really waiting for it. I don't know about the pedal, but I like the Wawa. All right. Uh, let's talk to, uh, we like to call him Double D. Actually, I've never called him that before in my life. But Dallas Dickey, <laughs> the wide receiver coach, is here. And second tour of duty with ETSU. And Dallas, first, uh, thanks for taking the time. And let's start really with um, the journey because, uh, you know, I think you've done what a lot of coaches do, which is just try to get in the door. And you were able to do that with Coach Randy Sanders. And so take us through sort of, um, I know how your relationship got with Randy, but talk about sort of that and getting here the first time. Exactly right. Well, first off, hey, thanks for having me on the podcast, my first podcast, so I'm excited. And uh, But, yeah, the journey. So, you know, everybody's got journeys. Uh, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned Coach Sanders and, and our relationship. You know, he was coaching at Florida State uh, previous before coming to ETSU and you know my dad and coach Sanders were actually on the same team together uh, 1985 you know University of Tennessee there and they were actually in the same meeting room so uh, you know they they you know became friends over time and through the coaching world have you know continued to be friends and you know, when Coach Sanders was was uh, coaching down there at Florida State, I went down there and worked camps. You know, uh, summer camps. You know, summer after summer, just trying to get a job down there with him, trying to get my foot in the door, so to speak. And didn't necessarily work out at Florida State. But when Coach Sanders got the job here in 2018, he called me shortly after and said, "Hey, I got a I got a quality control position for you on offense. Uh, you know." I, uh, you know, see how you worked at camp, see how you work with the guys, and, you know, see you got a little bit of football knowledge at least, and, um, you know, I'm, I'll give you a shot. So he took a chance on me, and, you know, I went down there and worked and, and sweated my butt off and halfway babysitted some, uh, you know, third graders and then, you know, tried to teach a few tenth graders how to throw a football or, or run some routes and, uh, you know, whatever I did down there, more or less just some hard work. Uh, got me in the door up here in Johnson City at ETSU. All right, so you get here at ETSU, and one of your jobs, which is one of my favorite things, was you're the hand signal guy. Yes. And so I used to love occasionally to walk in and just read something on the board, and I have no idea what it meant and would, <laughs> what is that, and then you would throw up some hand signals, and, oh, here's how we call you know, right. I have no idea what's going on. How long did it take you to um, understand the hand sign language of football, and did you ever practice in the mirror? uh no i did not practice in the mirror um but you know it, it was one of those things where yeah i'd previously i'd done it in the past and playing quarterback i you know obviously had had to you know understand the sign language coming in from the sideline so to speak or as we call it our language uh you know sometimes you, you can hear sometimes you can't but first thing you got to do if, if you're an offensive player is get the signal right and if you don't know the signals then we can't even get started so um, it's definitely a process and, and it's something we practice every day, but it can be, uh, it, it, you definitely got to work through the kinks and, you know, there's definitely, uh, some, some, uh, you know, some, you, you got to be decisive and, and, uh, you know, si signaling plays and, and cause it, a lot of words, right. There's only so many, uh, hand signals I can, I can come up with sometimes, but you got to be creative got to be decisive and uh that way the players can uh, get where they need to be and we can get the ball snapped and, and everybody's on the same page so uh, you go from etsu from quality control hand signal guy you get a chance to to, to not that you're not coaching and doing things but there's limitations at the, sure. the you know the quality control you go to ut martin last year wide receivers coach talk about that step up and that opportunity and what you learned last season yeah no it was uh it was actually, you know, I went out there, rolled the dice, and I went out there to be a restricted earnings coaching to coach the running backs. Uh, I don't know. I mean, not, I, you know, not many people know that because I ended up coaching the receivers. But I went out there to coach the running backs. And, uh, you know, it's funny how God works. You know, the receiver coach, he had a baby girl and wanted to move back closer to home. And after spring ball, he left. And, uh, you know, the the receiver coaching job was open. So I, I walked into Coach Simpson's office. I said, hey, I've been coaching receivers for – uh, or working with receivers for six years now, I feel ready for this position, ready for this opportunity. I'd love to, love to uh, go all in on it. And you know, luckily enough, you know the timing was right, and uh, 
you know, one, you know, I got the opportunity to coach the receivers there. And, uh, you know, Coach Simpson had done a great job having a lot of really good players there. And more or less, it really just uh, had – I had my own opportunity to run a room. I had about seven, 17 guys in the room, so it was hard to balance, uh, you know, the egos and – and, and, you know, because, hey, every receiver wants the ball, right? <laughs> hold on. Hold yeah. on. I'm sorry. That's a newsflash. Receivers True. have egos. Is yes. that correct? Well, okay, I mean, everybody wants the ball, right? Everybody wants to play. So, usually there's only about three of them out there at a time. And, uh, you know, I learned that, hey, they they love to work. And, you know, they, they want to see the rewards that they that – they, uh, for the work that they put in. And, you know, and, hey, I can't be mad at them for that, right? So, But at the end of the day – we got to play the the ones that give the uh, team the best chance to win, and you know it, it taught me that hey, there's a lot of details that go into the wide receiver position, and a lot of variables, and you know you you better do everything in your power to make sure that hey they know what to do, whether it's walkthroughs, meetings, you know drawing, test, whatever it is, and um, and but one of the biggest things I learned was hey you just got to be real with them if if you're real if you're real with them. They, uh, you know, whether it's good or bad at times, you know, they, they can respect that and they can roll with the punches there usually. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that the guys at UT Martin, they they rode with me pretty strong there. And, you know, we, we created a good bond, you know, out there on the field in the summer, whatever it is, working, you know, trying to – uh, in, increase everybody's individual uh, value and, you know, become the best group that we can be. Therefore, we can become the best offense we can be. Dallas, I'm from Dixon. Dixon. Uh, and we, we like to joke that uh, UT Martin was Dixon County West because sure. a lot of Dixon County kids would end up there. Yep. Um, it's not big, and it's kind of out of the way. Sure. Do you think, like, from your perspective, was that a good – first opportunity to work with a room just from the perspective of there's not a big city there's not a whole lot going on everybody is here with a purpose and a mission of we're going to focus on football we're going to focus on sure absolutely I mean hey any anytime you can limit distractions uh I I think that that's a a benefit for for your group and you know that was something that that was good for me and good for the guys because you know hey we we can go out there and you know, voluntary, do whatever, you know, I mean, hey, I'm not telling anybody they got to be here, but, you know, it might be Saturday at one o'clock, if y'all want to come out here, we can do some, you know, uh, some, I give y'all a sheet of paper, I can kind of watch from the stands or whatever it is, and, and, you know, we can kind of get through this together and, and, you know, grind together and create that bond between coach and a player, and, yeah, I thought I thought it was good because you know a lot of kids, like you said, there's there was a lot of the players. They only went there for, you know, long story short, one reason, and that was to be the best football player that they could be. And uh, you know that that was a fun journey to be a part of. You were uh, a pretty good quarterback at uh, West Georgia, and uh, you had some great battles with Mike Ezekiel over in the sports information department. Was at North <laughs> Alabama about sure the same time, and you, you had some pretty good battles with the Lions, but. What is being a, a guy who's you know a signal caller, not just as a quarterback, a lot of responsibility come with that, but for a program that's got expectations and a program that's having success while you're there and you're part of that success, what do you take from that that you try to impart to the next generation of players that are now you know eight, ten years younger than you? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think of, of anything, you try to figure out what made you successful and, and how do I get that across to this group, you know, and uh, – Long story short, hey, I just try and keep it real. Hard work's gonna pay off. There's no substitute for hard work. Uh, you gotta know what to do and know how to do it. Uh, each, you know, all with all the variables that come come with it. And and then you know, I think the time that you put in together as an offensive unit, uh, that way everybody, you know, you 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 feel okay. The quarterback can feel all right, on a six step out. I, I know how this receiver is gonna you know come out of this break. Uh, I think the continuity is something that is de- it takes a long time to develop, but I do think that that goes a long way when it's the fourth quarter and the game's on the line, and we got to have a first down, right? And uh, you know, hey, it's not always it's not always easy, right? So you know, I think that you know, putting putting in the work and and sometimes having some highs and sometimes having some lows will help will help uh, mold you into the best player you can be, the best person you can be, and the best team that you can be. And, you know, it's not – like I said, it's not always it's not always perfect, 
but you gotta hey you gotta you gotta find a way or make a way so what now what right so what are you gonna do about it now and you know you try and learn from the previous plays and you and, and just become the best player you can be each and every day and uh, you got to be all in you know and and the more people that are all in and want to be the best player that you can be and uh, be the best player that uh, God gave you the ability to be then you know everybody's on the same page everybody's uh, got the same stroke as far as rowing the boat and got the same vision in mind uh, I think you know in a lot of ways there's not not many things that can stop you what did it mean to you to represent Carrollton? I mean, you were you were there for a long. I mean, it's, yeah. that's that's home. Yeah, no, no, it means a lot. Uh, you know, Carrollton is uh, the, a lot of people call it the city of dreams, but yeah, I spent 12 years there, and uh, it's a special place to me. And you know, I I, I played obviously played at Carrollton High School, then ended up playing at West Georgia for my dad there for two years, and then coach Hall for two years, and got to stick around and coach for two years. Uh, so. You know, it's 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 a great spot, and um, you know, but it taught me that hey, that small town sometimes, you know, it it was the perfect spot for me when it came to moving into uh, making my transition into high school, and you know, I was a guy that always loved football, and uh, you know, if you go if you ever been to Carrollton High School, you can tell that you know football is certainly at the top of the list in that city, and I was just blessed to be able to to be a part of it, and. Uh, we had a lot of really good players, a lot of really good people, a lot of really good coaches, and, uh, you know, helped me develop to become the young man I am today. Quarterbacks, as we all know, have perfect recall, right? Wide receivers, <laughs> corners, so those guys are next play. It's short sure. memory. That's all right. Qu- quarterback can remember everything that's happened. They just, <laughs> they, just have to sc- they just have to block it out for a short period yeah, of time. So yeah. What anyway. game do you remember most vividly from your playing days? Could be a win, could be a loss. What game sure. do you remember most vividly? Oh man, there's some uh, there's some ones that stick out for sure. Um, you know, obviously playing in the state championship game my junior year in high school that that was a big one. Um, you know, probably the first playoff game in West Georgia Stadium though it it meant a lot to me. We had a first round bye there my senior year and we got to play Tuskegee in the second round at, at, in a uh, first home playoff game Rayland Stadium. Mm. You know, I had a just so happened to have a career day. I mean, our offensive line they were blocking I mean I was back there eating sandwiches reading the defenses you know had all the time in the world and uh, receivers made a lot of good plays and it was a great day for the Wolves and uh, you know it was picture perfect Saturday I had career high passing yards and we ran them out of the stadium and it's a packed house and uh, you know first playoff game in Rayland Stadium we came out with a win so I thought that that one you know that one sticks out pretty uh Pretty pretty strong for me. Well, let me ask you this, because me and Keith work with a couple of quarterbacks, former ETSU quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. the one thing I've learned about quarterbacks is that, uh, at least the broadcasting side, they're apologists. It's never the quarterback's fault. Well, now you're on the <laughs> other side. You're the receiver. Sure. Whose fault is it on some of this stuff? Oh, man. I, I would put it on a little bit of both, right? You, you So – Everybody's working there together. Yeah, exactly right. So you know, hey, we got to look at towing a lot here. That's why he's already he's already no transition. We're on the we're on the fence. Uh, (laughs) We're on the fence. So you know, I would say that hey, we we got to iron it out there. Uh, That's why you got all spring, all summer, and you know, routes on air, whatever you got to do to make sure everybody's on the same page. And you know, coverage dictates a lot of things and and can create a lot of variables. So you try and you know rep every situation possible that way in the game you know when it, you know no telling what coverage you're going to see man zone whatever it is that hey the quarterback and the receiver are on the same page and they got the trust and a belief in each other and that way the quarterback can you know let it go when he needs to uh that way when the, when the receiver's coming out of the break balls in the air right and uh, so it's it's a two-way street i would say you know now when I was playing quarterback, I say, "Hey, you got to take that one a little deeper, or something." You know, so. <laughs> sure, like I said. But, yeah, so well, I, I'm very well versed in the quarterback apologist uh, <laughs> room. Uh, that being said, Dallas, let's, let's let's go back to okay, your UT Martin. You finished the first year. All of a sudden, you get an opportunity to come back. Tell us how that kind of came about, how that conversation started, and how easy or difficult was it for a decision to come back? Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, I was actually doing the dishes at my place in Martin, and uh, my, I heard my phone ring. And it was Coach Corals, and he called me, and uh, long story short, pretty much offered me the receiver coaching job. And, 
you know, it's never easy to leave a place uh, that you, you know, spent, you know, we, hey, I was there for almost a year exactly, you know, grinded in there, put a lot of work into it and put a lot of time and effort and, you know, uh, created a lot of bonds with those guys. They get, there's good people out there uh, just like there is here. And, you know, but for me to have an opportunity to come back to, uh, to a place that I, you know, closer to home uh you know i've been uh, around the i've been coming to knoxville ever since i was you know less than a year old and uh to be to be uh to be able to be back in east tennessee means a lot to me um you know with with my granddad and my dad you know having the you know having been in tennessee for a long time and you know just being able to be back here in this region and and uh have the opportunity to coach with coach corals uh, who who's, who's a Knoxville man himself and had so much success there in Knoxville and uh, to be able to you know uh, come back to a place that I called home for four years and to a place where I know that we can be successful and um, you know and and be a part of the Southern Conference again it was uh, it was certainly hard uh, but you know I thought the uh, pros outweighed the cons and so therefore you know I I, I thought it was um, you know, I thought it was advantageous to come come back to Johnson City and, and rep the E again. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to be back. Can't, uh, you know, we've actually had three days under our belt under spring ball. And, you know, I just I, – I, I'm excited as ever to get back out there today. So Yeah, you obviously felt uh, from, from your own words, like it was a really good fit with the staff and the, the community and the sure. university. Mm-hmm. How appealing was the level of talent that's available in this room with Huzzy and, and so many other guys? It just really feels like – Jay and I have talked about this a couple times. This might be the deepest position group on the entire football team. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It was uh, – I, obviously, I looked to see who was coming back, and, you know, I, I know most of these guys already, right, because I, you know, was on their official visits and part of the recruiting process or uh, – so – so obviously I looked to see who was coming back and I knew what we had here and and that certainly helps right but um you know so like you said we certainly got a deep room and got a, uh the the ceiling is high and you know hey I push them every day let's let's be the best position group on the team and only thing we can do from here is uh, all right we we got to we got to put the work in right so we go out there and work an individual we got to know what to do uh in the team periods we got to play with a chip on our shoulder and when that ball's in the air we got to go get it and uh you know i i expect nothing less um you know now I, i'm sure every coach will tell you hey we got to be the best the best position group on the team but i truly do think that uh we got a chance to to be one of the better position groups on the team and Hey, uh, with you know, anytime that there's high expectations, there's pressure. But you know, if if there's no expectations or no pressure, then you know that's usually not a good thing. So uh, I, I'm certainly certainly excited. I mean, we got a, like you said, we got some really special players, special people in that room, and uh, can't wait to see what what's in store for them in the 2023 season. Well, let's talk about the offense because that's been the talk of the town and the number one question probably me and Keith get sure. outside the office because last year that Adam Neugebauer kind of switched the system. Mm-hmm. Coach Coral just peeled the curtain back a little bit on, on what's going on. We've talked to Tyler Rydell and try to pick his brain a little bit. How would you describe what you guys are trying to accomplish offensively and the game plan without obviously not trying to give away too much stuff? Sure. Yeah, no, I think it starts with uh... – you know, any like you would say, any offense would say, "Hey, we got to be able to run the ball, right?" And we got to be able to run the ball, whether it's uh, gap schemes, zone schemes. Uh, you know, I think that's where it all starts. Uh, being able to move people up front, uh, maybe potentially move the pocket a little bit. You know, get the quarterback out of the pocket, and 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 then uh, you know, obviously in the pass game, we got to be able to have some good timing, good spacing, uh, and and get the guys open when when they need to be open you know not i would say the easy anybody can get them open but hey when can you get them open in time with the quarterback and the reads right and and getting them through the coverage right but you know i would say a little more balanced attack um yeah everybody you know everybody talks about tempo yeah we'll, we'll probably have some tempos in there but uh i think you know controlling the time of possession and being able to run the ball at times uh that's that's how we won in 2018 and through 2021. We were able to run the ball and control the clock and, you know, keep keep the ball away from the other team. And uh, you, you could feel a lot of times we were in control of the game and uh, as opposed to, you know, um, 
having having to play from behind or you know where the time of possession is is heavily in the other team's favor that's that's always tough especially for the defense so you know um yeah yes uh, I, I would say just being balanced uh trying to find ways to get our best players the ball and hey how can how can we uh move some people off the rock you know and and you know got to have good players you know got to have good players got to be able to uh sustain uh good good players and and keep them around and and you know show them that hey we can get them to the next level just as just as uh just as easy as anywhere and and hey there's a lot of good players a lot of good teams in the socon so you're gonna play a lot of really good competition and um you know, so and we're we're gonna help develop you and give you every chance you got to be successful here at ETSU. Now, when you talk about running the ball effectively, that means you're going to the outside a little bit, and that means wide receivers are gonna have to throw some blocks. Exactly right. And that's that's a mindset uh, a lot of times, especially with guys that are used to running routes, catching the ball. Have these guys bought into the idea of? We're gonna go smack people in the mouth and, yeah. and do some things. Some no things doubt, no doubt. There's uh, there's certainly uh, a mindset aspect to it, and you know, I was proud of the guys. Uh, you know, third practice, we put the pads on, and we had some, you know, perimeter screens and all that. Get out there where these guys, hey, these I see these guys work out. They're plenty strong enough, right? Then they got enough courage, right, to to be able to block on the edge. And all it comes down to is, like you said, want to. And hey. If if they don't want to, then you know I'm gonna play somebody else that wants to because I, I you know I but we've had no problem with that. These guys have been been able to uh, hold it down on the edge, so to speak, and you know they they play with a chip on their shoulder. And I tell them, hey, you want to be the hammer, not the nail. So they 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 like being the hammer, not the nail, and uh, been trying to just you know help them out however I can. You know, close the distance. I got to push off the rock. And, um, you know, make sure that we're not just sitting there catching. And we got to have, hey, good aiming points, good hat and hands, have a good base. And at that point, hey, it, it just comes down to pure strength and want to. And I've seen them work out, and I see how they work. And, uh, you know, it's been good for us so far. Now, not to say we can't be better at it, but that's why we got uh, 12 more practices to uh, keep working at it and make sure we're uh, being the best that we can. That way we're turning – uh, five-yard gains into 17-yard gains or, you know, when that ball gets to the third level, we can't we can't let our guy make the tackle, right, and and save a you – don't, you don't want your uh, guy that, okay, I got I got the safety here and, you know, I halfway jog off and then he makes a tackle 30 yards down the field for a touchdown saving tackle. No, that's that's never a good, good – uh, that's never a good feeling when you're watching, you know, take the next day and, and – you see, okay, dang! If I would have just busted my butt a little harder, he would have been able to, you know, slip out of that, um, you know, shoestring tackle and scored a seventy-yard run. But now we got a twenty-yard gain, right? So that's, you know, it's it's uh it's been good so far, though. I think the guys they bought into it, they've been, you know, they they get it, right? They they understand, hey, mm-hmm. it, it's a mindset. It's it's all about you know leverage and and want to, but. You know, at, at some point, who who wants to who wants it more, right? Who wants to block more? Who wants to tackle more? So, all right, Dallas, we appreciate you taking the time. I've known you for a long time. Uh, good to have you back. Good to have you on the podcast. Your first one, how'd it go? Yeah, first one, it was great. It was great. So I, I don't know. I'm sure you've had some betters, but hey, we'll uh, you know we'll be back soon, hopefully. Well, so. you know, we've talked to a lot of quarterbacks, and you know, they're, yeah. they're better receivers. You yeah. Know that that, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dallas, we appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Now, all right, Dallas Dickey. That was great. You got a lot of uh, West Georgia questions in, as you as I you did. promised. You I, promised, I promised you would do I would. It. I really thought when uh, when they when he scored the game winning touchdown to beat Valdosta his senior year, I thought that was going to be the one that that he talked about. Because they do, in fact, I looked this up. They play for a peach basket, but it's also a football rivalry. So. I don't know. You figure that out. I, Football I, teams play basketball? I noticed you didn't ask him about his loss, 31-28. To North Alabama? Yeah. No, I did not. Okay. I did not ask him about that one. All that right. was a great game, though. I, I have a firsthand account of it from Mike Ezekiel down the hall. What do we have tomorrow? Tomorrow we have offensive line coach Jake Irmo, who's going to make you run through a brick wall, not through anything deliberate. He's also got Say What? We've got Say What on Jay and Keith on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!